This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Um, hey, Tom. Yes. Have you ever posted a photograph of yourself gazing out a plane window? Or are you a, like the wing of the, of the plane over <laughs> the sky kind of Instagram post guy? Wouldn't someone else would have to take the photo of me to get me mm. and the window in one, right? Or you do a selfie, I guess. Yeah, oh, my Your star, star of who deeply wants you to never, ever, ever become prime minister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you think this is a hit job, a sabotage? Haven't you seen these? This, like, I've seen multiple people saying this. This is about this photo that Tanya Plibersek, uh, Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek, posted this week where she's staring at a lovely plane window and we'll, we'll get to that mm-hmm. uh, quite seriously looking over the landscape and she said I wanted to give you an update about the Murray-Darling Basin plan over the last year it has become clear that major elements of the Murray-Darling Basin plan were either left adrift or actively sabotaged by the Liberals and Nationals oh no but n- no one cares about what she wrote because there's this very <laughs> memeable photo of her staring out the window in what is clearly like a mm. private, looks like a private jet or I, I would imagine maybe it's just business class. I don't know. What okay. does business class look like, Tom? Um, I've, I've flown business once and it was a very mm-hmm. long time ago um, and it looked nothing like that. There were like strippers and people bringing you drugs and um, champagne everywhere, so I can't see oh, that in this photo. Well, they could just be out of frame. Mm. <laughs> I guess it was a private jet. I mean, I mean, yes, yeah. Posting the photo is no good. We know that politicians take private jets. We know that the environment and it would go on on particular planes, particularly if she was going to sort of some like rural areas. Yeah, yeah, charter flight, I guess. So that's a fun thing. But regardless, it's still a funny image, and people have gone with that, and they've <laughs> they photoshopped in various things both into the photo. Mm. Um, I, I saw one where she was looking at and everything was on fire. It was like it must have been an image for the Black Saturday bushfires that she from, was looking at. Yeah, the 2019-20 fires, yeah. Incredible. Like ranging from very sombre, very like kind of fucked ones like that to yep. someone photoshopped in like she's looking out the window and there's that photo of Max <laughs> Chandler Bader in Parliament being like, yeah, I'm not wearing a tie. He's like touching his collar, kind of smiling and she's just glaring at him. Or just a simple someone tweeted and added a, a you know thought bubble as she's gazing out the window saying, over there would be great for a new coal mine. Because <laughs> she did. She, I don't know if she tweeted this on the exact same day that the news broke or if it was just right. like in the vicinity of news breaking that she had as Environment Minister approved her third coal mine since uh, yes, taking that position. Queen. Congratulations, Tanya. Yes. Uh- Unfortunately, the people of Twitter hate to see a girl boss winning. <laughs> <laughs> would this have been Terry Butler if Terry Butler had won? Mm. She would have mm-hmm. got into environment, right? Yeah, okay, mm. right, okay. Yeah. So, man, she, must, no. she, she must be furious seeing this, yeah, she this never other girl boss take her glory. She never no. would have done this, yeah. And that's what the Greens have lost. They're all terrible coal mines. Um, some of mm. them were coking coal or metallurgical coal and others a thermal coal. Is that right out of these three? It's Yeah, I actually couldn't find – I don't know what one because one of them is admitted like it's a very small project but they're calling it like a sample. They're like, we're just going to take this little bit. We need approval mm. to take this little bit and then maybe we'll look at going much, much bigger. Um, so that one's kind of smaller but what the Greens, you know, I think Adam Bant this week tweeted out that the Labor had – approved three new coal mines in two months. So the first one was the Isaac River coking coal mine. It was an extension Mm. 
um, for five years and then there was the Star Coal Mine, which is that little sample project, and then there's the the latest one is this Ensham Coal Mine near, you know you know what's embarrassing? I maybe shouldn't even say this, but I didn't know exactly where it was, um, but it's right near Emerald uh, in Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I should probably remember that. That's you. Um, You're that coal that's mine. That's me. That's it's my you. name. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, extended like uh, that massive thermal coal mine extension, the EPBC approval. What's EPBC stand for again? That's the federal enviro laws anyway. Mm. It extended, it, it's uh, granted until 2045. So Great. this is a new thermal coal mine approval after mm-hmm. 2045. Like what the fuck? An, an additional potentially 100 million tonnes of CO2 emissions. Makes sense. Good stuff. Thank God we kicked out the Liberals, hey? <laughs> yeah, that, I'm really glad. And it's not its not like we saw this week climate change sort of making a serious impact or like a, a more example of just how hot well, the uh, the world's getting, right? Because the thing is because we ended the climate wars, so it's actually That's, okay yes. to do this now. So we don't have to worry about the fact that this week was the hottest day ever recorded globally monday according to the data from the u.s national centers for environment environmental protection um we don't have to worry about that we don't have to worry about the fact i mean as you said so some like i assume there are some hacks in there trying to argue that it's okay that labor's approving all these new coal mines because the first one was coking coal as opposed to to thermal coal so yeah um for anyone not across the distinction coking or, or metallurgical coal made for used for making steel, mm. thermal coal, lower quality coal basically used for to burn for electricity. And the argument is that we have renewable energy. We certainly don't need thermal coal for electricity. It's basically a defunct technology and certainly something we shouldn't be expanding. Um, but green steel making isn't as advanced. And so there's going to be, you know, we're going to need metallurgical coal to make steel for some time. But we've already got a whole shitload of metallurgical coal reserves open, mm. uh, of, of mines open, do we really need new ones that won't be actually producing coal to make steel for a long time when internationally green steel is in production? Like mm. it, it is a real thing that's happening. We could be investing in that instead. Not to, But then putting all of that aside, again, this week there's data out about how Australia is drastically under-reporting methane emissions, which is one of the most significant you know, issues with, with metallurgical coal mining that the, the methane emissions tend to be far more significant than, than thermal coal. So it's all good. <laughs> isn't this isn't the opening bit meant to be something fun? Or maybe we should be talking about this. <laughs> Sorry. I feel fine. The memes. I feel- memes in the photo. The photo, she's looking out the window. It looks like George Bush when he flew over New Orleans looking at <laughs> Hurricane Katrina. Whenever you feel sad or worried about the climate crisis, friends, just look to the skies and our environment minister will be flying over our head, looking mm. out that window, looking at you, and she's on she top should, of it. Yeah, she's flying a, flying a banner over all of our heads on the hottest day <laughs> ever globally recorded that says the climate wars are over. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> if you want the dole for life, free marijuana, vote Greens. The Greens blithely ignore any consequences. These younger voters coming through have been thoroughly brainwashed. They will forever vote left. We're stuck with the hosts of Chapo Shithouse podcast. Serious danger. Well, even though everything's fine with our Labor government, we continue. We carry on with this podcast, Serious Danger, a podcast about Greens politics 
in Australia. It is not an official Greens Party podcast. I'm Tom Ballard. That is Emerald Moon. Hello. Hi. It's made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. This week, we're chatting about two big stories from the week, the National Anti-Corruption Commission, the NAC. NAC, 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 NAC. NAC Paddywhack kicked off and is looking at the PwC scandals. Referral. Yeah. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) And at the end of NADOC week, we're going to be chatting about the state of the referendum campaign for the First Nations voice to Parliament. Emerald, there are so many new patrons in the Serious Danger family. The Friendly Geordies, the gift that keeps on giving, it seems, because clearly everyone is signing up to watch us watch the Friendly Geordies video where he watches us, which is a real, you know, something, something late capitalism mm-hmm. 2023 thing. But anyway, thank you, new patrons. Uh, Daniel, Shawnee, Andrew, Marchioness, Ella. Oh, I think that's Ella Marchioness. Um, okay. Natters, Lucy, Sandwich, Caitlin, Spal, JRH, Sean, Hawksword, Danielle, Anne-Marie, Jerry Isaac, Matt, SJ, Hattori, Sebastian, Karen, Priscilla, Aiden, Bomber, Annie, Michael, Zacharias, Asher, Alex, JJAM, Ella, Steph, Aaron, Justin, Jamin, Dom is the bomb, Simon, sauce is free but pies you've got to pay for. (laughs) It's such a strange mix of names and things that are not names. It's quite confusing. I don't understand Patreon. I don't care. They're giving us money. Yay. Um, for just three bucks a month, you become a patron and you get the bonus content. You get to listen to the Friendly Geordies episode and our entire back catalogue. And that money uh, goes to covering our costs and making sure that our producer, Mike, gets paid. So thank you so much if you've got on board. Uh, hopefully that you can stay with us post Friendly Geordies because we still mm, we make please. great content. Please. And Mike continues to need to get paid. Speaking of, <laughs> of Mike, you may be seeing, keep an eye out in your little screens, maybe in the news this week uh, for Mr. Michael the Griff Griffin. I think mm. he may be featuring in some media about the RoboDebt Royal Commission. The report is coming out today, Friday, when we're recording this. So it will yep. already be out by the time that you are listening to this episode. And for any listeners who don't know, Mike is one of the original, the OG RoboDebt um, I guess victims who who spoke up and been part of the suit. Yeah, um, yeah. Been tenacious in fighting for justice, being involved in the royal commission process, and holding politicians to account. So yes, the report is coming out today. There'll be you know it's coming out on a Friday, which I think is bullshit. But anyway, there'll be a political <laughs> discussion and fallout, and we'll see whether people are going to jail. Hopefully, Scott Morrison is going to jail, or at least the lady in charge of it have been issued warrants yes. are out for Scott Morrison's <laughs> arrest. <laughs> Q, Q is handed down the orders. <laughs> These people are going. Hopefully, some kind of justice and uh, such comes out of it. So we will we'll chat about more uh, more about that on next week's show. I reckon. Yeah, I think so. Also, we want to do another Q and A episode. We want to answer your mm-hmm. questions. If you have a question for us here at Serious Danger, we'd love to hear them, and we'd love to hear little voices expressing them. So That'll if you're up cute. for it, that'd be cute, wouldn't it? Record a little voice memo uh, on your phone and send it through to hello at seriousdangerpod.com. 30, 40 seconds kind of thing. Um, we would love to hear any questions that you have and hear your voices and we'll put them together and do a special Q&A episode of the show to air your cues. You could even do it in the style of Tom Ballard and the best Tom Ballard impression on the voice memo question gets a definite, gets an answer. Just came up without them, but that, that's the competition we're running. <laughs> I do not look forward to this. <laughs> oh, I'm Tom and I've got a question. <laughs> oh, that's me. <laughs> what do you guys think?
think about when you're Tom? What do you think? <laughs> and then, yeah, you laugh, like just doubled over in laughter at your own joke. <laughs> She's got me. I'm really worried that we're having a very politician-centred conversation. Um, I haven't read the whole report, but I've read the bits that are most important to the victims, and that is the overall big picture, Mm -hmm. that there is a built-in culture of disrespect, and it has crept right into the bones of our social security system. Listening to the politicians, they want to soothe us, they want to reassure us. Robodet was not stopped by politicians. It's really important to understand that 100,000 Australians got these debts in the first year of the program. There was no media coverage. There were no one speaking for them until the people themselves spoke. And they were backed by heroic volunteers. Uh, People like Asher Wolf, Justin Warren, Lindsay Jackson, They're not taking a press conference today, but they are the agents of change. We know that so many people suffered so badly and we have to strengthen their hand against their government. And recommendation one of this report is pretty remarkable. It says, basically, stop the stigma and shame and that's a challenge for all Australia because robo-debt was easy to perpetrate. The politicians are here appearing here today. They are taking this report away for study. Victims are sitting at their kitchen tables. They need to know what is being done for them. All right. Um, Knack Street Boys. Have you got oh, yeah. any prepared for this, Tom? Nack Street's back. back. Nack Street's back. All right. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, it's the National Anti-Corruption Commission's debut. Debuted with 44 referrals on day one. An incredible performance for the Nack. Huge. Um, we finally got one. We've been asking for it for a long time. So let's see what this, this little baby can do. Mm. And the Greens are ready to test it out. Now, here's the thing. The Greens, you told me about this, Tom, um, but the Greens released a top 10 wish list of referrals that they would like to make, or they plan to make, to the National Anti-Corruption Commission, the NAC. Ladies and gentlemen, here's tonight's top 10. But I cannot find this fucking list anywhere. Where did they release this? Yeah, did you see an actual top 10 list? I saw, like, reporting... (laughs) And I'm like, like, okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm not having a go at this as a comm strategy because clearly, like, the objective was still achieved. We got coverage of the Greens referring all this shit to the to the NAC. But I'm like, as someone who, as as a journalist whose sole job is to report on the Greens, I could not find the top ten list. Where is it? Did you see stories about how they published the list? No, I. It's like they say they released a list, so obviously it's gone. In a media release, but can't find the media release on the website. 
I see David Shoebridge tweeting that we've done the top 10. He like posted about, but no top 10 list. Is he really no calling it the top 10? Nothing. The, yeah, the hottest have... 100 referrals? <laughs> I don't know, but like there's a 10 apparently, but I had to like scrape through different articles to get, I still don't know what all of them are, but like anyway, it's just, yeah, it is like a hottest one. It's like a, you know, the fresh hits of, of Oz poll. <laughs> The PwC scandal, which is what I think we want to get into yep. a little bit and just into consulting firm chat generally. Sports rorts, we've got secret Scott Morrison ministries, we've got mm-hmm. RoboDebt, we've got yeah, Stuart Robert, we've got this blowout in the Hunter class frigate, frigate, I don't even know what that is, a defense frigate. thing, frigate. Mm-hmm. Ah, frigate. Um, and this $2 billion Morrison Health and Hospitals Funding Program. Some of these, yeah, I don't even really remember, but I'm sure we would remember if we went back. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? Any any Greens MPs, call in. Let us know what the other <laughs> four was. <laughs> I don't know. Let us know what you're voting for too. 132410, <laughs> call in to the show. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. That's, I mean, and I guess maybe we'll get into this too, but I mean, the... Um, definition of what counts as corruption, I suppose, is still something of an open question too. Like is terrible governance, is allocating money in a dodgy way or for political purposes, is that that corruption? I suppose that is corruption. Mm. I suppose that it's a corrupt thing. Is it? That's actually a good question. Like in the, I mean, again, things that we should probably know. In the NAC legislation, presumably it defines corruption, right? Like You, You fucking hope so. And, uh, and what was interesting with the Gladys Berejiklian thing in ICAC, you know, people saying, oh, there's no criminal charges that come out of this. You go, well, this body has to be able to say this person was corrupt for these reasons without mm. it necessarily proceeding to a criminal prosecution. Otherwise, it, you know, it is pointless. It is just a warm-up act for criminal investigations kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like th- this body in and of itself needs to be able to make findings that say this person uh, betrayed public trust or acted dodgily. Mm. They're so not, not going to jail yeah. for it, but this was bad. I guess that's the thing. Yeah, it's like it's not just that they broke the law because that's just that's, yeah. yeah. I, according to the Attorney General's website, when I just Google this right now, any person, this is from the Act, any person who does something that causes or could cause a public official to behave dishonestly or show bias in the exercise of their official functions, powers or duties could be engaging in corrupt conduct. Mm. It's pretty broad. I guess so, Yes. But, I mean, it's good. I mean, yeah, pork barreling, despite Gladys Berejiklian telling us, hey, it's just a fact of life. It's like it does actually go against yeah, any the illusion that we have of good well, governance, that, that resources classic, and money yeah. should be distributed based on need because it's the best outcomes and stuff, not, not to try and uh, win seats, even though we all yeah. know that's exactly what happens. This is the classic thing, I think, the difference between the way that the general public perceives corruption or what corruption actually fucking is versus, mm. like, the response that you get from from politicians and anyone else when they're being corrupt, which is that they didn't break any laws. And it's like, yes. yeah, but that's not the, the point. <laughs> like, you're yes. dodgy cunts because the laws are dodgy and designed to protect <laughs> you being dodgy. <sighs> Sometimes corruption can be just having a terrible haircut, using too much hair gel, mm. having a weird mm. smile. You know, it's I can covered these- under the definition. Yes, it's these are corrupt in the act. lizards, so they should be punished, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think a lot of people think that the PwC stuff is corrupt. Now, again, I had somehow managed to avoid, I guess, getting into the weeds of what happened with PwC. So this, I'll do a little recap for everyone, but especially anyone else who was just 
not super into this. And I think it's worth, yeah, we, we maybe agreed not to go deep into PwC when the initial stuff came out because it is very insidery kind of Canberra bubble stuff. But yeah. Um, but it is emblematic of, yeah, the way that like the closeness of government and, and the major parties and politics with with industry, um, with, you know, the corporate world, particularly mm. when it comes to, yeah, the fucking consulting firms. Yeah. So it was also running, you know, at exactly the same time as the housing debate stuff was going. So I certainly think from mm. our point of view and from the broader party's point of view, our focus, the fight True. should be around that massive crisis that was affecting as people's a, yeah, lives in a serious way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the NAC has opened its doors. It says, let us know what's going on out there. And one of the first ones on our top 10 wish list was, um, came from Senator, Green Senator Barbara Pocock, who referred the PwC tax leak scandal to the NAC. And she posted like, I, it looks like even the website was like overwhelmed with referrals because she was like, oh, the submit button's not working. And so she printed out a referral and posted a photo of that on Twitter. Anyway. It's like trying to get Tay-Tay tickets. I know. It's just, yeah, it's exactly like that. Um, <laughs> in a way, in a way. So what happened with PwC, which stands for PricewaterhouseCoopers, that's one of the big four consulting firms, does a lot of government work, of course. Um, back, way back in 2013, 10 years ago, um, the PwC's international tax expert, Peter John Collins, was brought on by the government to consult on these multinational tax avoidance laws or a scheme to crack down on multinational tax avoidance. Um, and he signed a confidentiality agreement because obviously he was going to be getting lots of information from the government on what those laws might look like and what the options are and maybe how people avoid tax at the moment and who knows what other confidential information he got. Um, but despite signing that agreement, he then went back to his friends in PwC and was like, guys, look at all this shit that I just got from the government. Is there a way that we can turn this into a marketable model to avoid tax and then sell that to prospective clients to say, hey, maybe we could help you avoid multinational taxes, um, which they then did. Ultimately, like they used to market that knowledge to potential clients. Ultimately, it's kind of unclear to me how this like it looks like it was the ATO was suspicious as long ago as maybe like 2018. I don't know exactly who flagged this with the with relevant bodies over over time, but okay. in late last year, the Tax Practitioners Board suspended Peter John Collins's license for doing this, um, and then the Australian Financial Review kind of broke the story. It, it and then. This year, early in, in 2023, a Senate inquiry was launched and it really got a whole lot more speed, I think, maybe a couple of months ago when some documents came out as part of that Senate inquiry. So that inquiry is still ongoing, I believe. Yeah. Um, but, yes, uh, Barbara Pocock is on the Senate committee that is doing that inquiry and says that the NAC should also look at this and not necessarily, I guess, it seems like the Greens angle in particular is not just looking at what this one person in PwC did or what PwC did, um, but what the government did as as well, like what the ATO, why the the actions of the ATO, the Tax Practitioners Board, and the Federal Police um, and government agencies like that. Mm. Because we know it's all very cosy, that world, and people move from the ATO into the private sector all the time. There's this constant um, yeah. yeah, relationship between there and often financial regulators are extremely 
soft on all parties involved when it comes to um, issues in, involving dodginess around around tax questions. It's sort of like a slap on the wrist kind of vibe a lot of the yeah. times in financial regulation. And well, because- it seems like people knew about this and then kept employing PwC and yeah. you know, these questions of who knew what, when, and why the fuck was this all sort of allowed to carry on or sort of excused mm. pretty quickly. Um, they're still very pressing questions to be answered. Yeah. And I guess because we didn't talk about this at the time, I don't know when this article came out, but we missed the opportunity to go through what is truly one of the most unhinged articles I've ever read. You sent this to me, Tom. It's like a it's a piece in the Australian Financial Review defending PwC. It's mm-hmm. an opinion by Nick Hossack. I'd, I'd love to know what else Nick has written. Don't know who this guy is. Um, but his opinion He's a public is- policy consultant, former policy director at the Australian Bankers Association oh, and former <laughs> advisor to John Howard. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. So maybe no surprise then that this guy has written a piece titled, Why the Attacks on PwC Are Ideological and Overblown. Oh, no. Did many people notice, was there much of a splash around this article at the time? Did I somehow completely miss it? Was I in a hole of depression or- Whatever. I haven't read this because it, I knew it was going to make me too angry, so I'm interested to hear what you think. I saw okay. it, I saw the headline doing the rounds on Twitter. Um, I think a lot of I, th- I think there were a lot of really cooked opinion pieces from the AFR that we never really truly appreciate because it's behind the paywall. Yeah, uh, which is a, well, it's I, a real shame. I got one. Yeah, so like I got you get your free one or five articles or whatever it is. Um, right. And I think this is well worth the investment for me <laughs> because I think we should read some of this article. Um, it is okay. All right. So the first point that he goes at, like the angle is this is like cancel culture for corruption. <laughs> like it's very it, it it argues that it's like bullying. Um, he says in the opening paragraphs there is a serious disconnect between what should be a sober assessment of what went wrong and how to improve processes to that of a seeming bloodlust to destroy careers yeah. in some sort of cathartic need for sacrificial offering. Incredible. The first sentence has <laughs> the PwC disclosure scandal. The word scandal is in inverted <laughs> commas. Yeah. Scandal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and he go, like he particularly has a go at the Greens for, for pushing this. So he says, my sense is that the passions, particularly those of Green senators, are driven more by ideology than anything oh. else, a disdain for commercial principles and successful, well-remunerated professionals. There is a bullying you. element as well. The senators leading the attack know well that PwC's reliance on government contracts means the accounting firm will not fight back using the types of arguments needed to compete in a political stash. <laughs> it's bullying and it's just not on. You know? Okay. We might get to this in the next topic, but grown adults in the public media accusing each other of bullying is one of my biggest bugbears in Australian political discourse. What the fuck is wrong with you all? Yeah, it's it's extremely cringe. It's extremely cringe. And it's all it's like the um, you know, politics of envy stuff and like <laughs> you're so anti-ambition. Uh it, like clearly this is a complete it's this is a, a window into the mind of your brain on neoliberalism. Um, also, he successful, think, yeah. well-remunerated professionals, that's a key Greens demographic, okay? That's part of our voter base, so we're, we're okay with it. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. Unfortunately, it is. Um, he does the argument about, like, he, he's like, well, it might not have even been illegal, so it's not corruption, et cetera, Amazing. et cetera. Yep. Um, he also, he, he has this, uh, this is, yeah, so then he gets into just pure neoliberal brain worms um, because, it's wrong to be upset about the the tax revenue that could be lost as a result of this. And this is, I think, 
this is the thing. It's like when when we get mad about what has happened here, where a private consulting firm has potentially used confidential government information to then allow multinational tax corporations to avoid paying tax. And it's like, it can get all very, yeah, political world and does it really matter? But actually, yeah, tax avoidance has a massive impact on people's everyday lives because that is money that could have gone to housing, you know, schools, hospitals, et cetera. Like it does make a difference. It's then, yeah, the, the burden of taxes is shifted onto ordinary fucking working class people instead of these multi-million dollar multinational corporations. But according to, what's his bloody name again? According Nick to Nick Hossack. Hossack. Nick Hossack. Hossack. <laughs> he says, well, not everyone perceives tax revenue as having the same holy virtue that green senators perhaps do. What the fuck I are you talking about? I'll it's money. You. you love money. Your no, whole no, life no. is about fucking money. No, no, no. Because you have to reward hard work and entrepreneurialism. He oh says, I personally prefer that Google paid less tax than more. You cuck. You fucking cuck. <laughs> he is. I get a lot of value from it, including a free email account, inexpensive data storage, and lots of integrated applications. Is this <laughs> sponsored by Google? You fucking cuck. Um, Microsoft's, oh my God, Microsoft similarly provides excellent products and is undertaking important innovation. Yep. What the fuck? And they don't get anything out of it, do they? They get no reward. They just do it for the love of providing wonderful services to their (laughs) users. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He says, my observation is that these multinationals put money, in brackets, retained earnings, because it's very important to know they earned that money, to much better use than do most governments. And then he's basically talking about, you know, the public sector being shit. He says, we fund woke university degrees of dubious value. The NDIS is being rorted. The health sector is bloated. Is the health sector bloated? Because I think a lot of people waiting on fucking, like, public wait lists would argue that it's drastically underfunded. But anyway. Yes. He's got our public schools are getting worse despite record funding. Fuck you. This record funding, more funding than ever before. There are more more fucking people, you idiot. There's more people. That's just that's all that fucking means. And then this is perhaps we're almost we're almost through the article, but like (laughs) the most cursed part where he literally is like uh, this beat up the PwC epitomizes hustle culture. Um, (laughs) He says, he says. In the private sector, professionals get paid only when a client voluntarily writes a check. They must hustle, market, push, and look for advantages. Oh, this, yes. ex- this incentive is exactly why so much public policy work is now outsourced to large consulting firms. No, it's not. The, the profit incentive has driven a responsive and highly valued service offering. Everyone agrees consulting firms are so, yeah, so useful. Although he clearly went too far, this is the, what's his name, Peter John Collins, Uh, although he clearly went too far, resulting in TBB sanctions, the PwC partner was acting entrepreneurially. He was actively (laughs) pushing to get more clients and make more money. Some will despise this motivation. Others will celebrate it. Okay, can we refer this article to the NAC? Uh, is yes, that possible? This is, can we get- this is number one. <laughs> this is number one for me. Who I is hope this, this man? is the missing item on the Greens list. Why is he not in prison? Royal Commission into this opinion piece. What is happening <laughs> the Australian Financial Review? They're posting racist cartoons and they're publishing this shit. What the fuck's going on? Uh, business as usual. 
Anyway, okay, just, yeah, to wrap up where we're at with the PwC stuff, there's that inquiry happening. In the wake of all this stuff, the the CEO or the chair or whatever Luke Sayers had left, and I think there's also this thing where he was linked somehow maybe through his wife with those that scandal around the Josh Frydenberg endorsement letters where the head of Guide Dogs Australia was in the, or Guide Dogs or was it Scouts or something like that, um, was in these endorsement letters, which you're not allowed to do as a charity. Yeah. So he's gone. There's a new CEO and PwC said, okay, fine. If you think it's such a conflict of interest, we're going to separate all of our government work, mm. which is about 20% of its revenue, into this new, totally a new, it's a different company that we're just going to transfer all of our staff to and then sell the work to for $1 because that sounds really good and dodgy and that's not that dodgy sense. and that's going to solve it. Yep. How about you invest in some shame and say, guys, we don't deserve this. Let's get the government to do it and we'll pay more taxes uh, to make sure that the public service is adequately funded so they can take on this kind of work. That would be nice. What do you think, like, do you think, yeah, should we just abolish private consultancy firms? Do you think they should ever be used for government work? Seriously. Uh, no. Question. I mean, no, yeah. I don't know what the argument is. The argument is is only that it's cheaper. Yeah, um, it's just the same argument for outsourcing in general, right? Isn't for outsourcing anything at all that it's more efficient and cheaper, which is just simply not true. And the profit, the profit motive that was being celebrated—that beautiful piece from Nick, what's his fuck face—is <laughs> exactly the problem. Is that once the profit yeah. motive is introduced into this, you don't get, you don't actually get free and fearless advice, um, and the public service should be working for the public. Um, they should be on a good salary with good conditions to work hard to make this country a better place. You know, yeah. the whole deal of the public service. Let's go with yeah. that, please. That's, yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, which is, and like, so Barbara Pocock has been working on the Senate inquiry into the PwC stuff, has also been leading this Greens push around private consulting firms in general, um, which are obviously, yes, under the spotlight in the wake of this PwC stuff. KPMG, which is another one of the big four. My cousin works for KPMG. Oh, really? Okay, thank you for declaring that conflict of interest. (laughs) No worries. (laughs) Um, But KPMG, they're reviewing their potential conflicts of interest with government contracts. So, for example, people had raised concerns about they do safety and quality audits of aged care facilities Mm -hmm. and then there's a separate division within the firm that charges providers for advice on audits and accreditation in in aged care facilities, Um, which, like, yeah, it's just something that seems so blatantly... Dodgy, such a blatant conflict of interest. There's this um, whistleblower who was a former KPMG employee who says that they were doing work for the New South Wales state government and he was like pressured to change his work when it came up with something that contradicted the government's message on, you know, it basically found that it was like $10 billion worse off than Treasury had claimed and he says that he was pressured to <laughs> fix that effectively. <laughs> right, because this is, you're giving advice to a client, right? So yeah. the government is your client. Yeah. You want more work from your client. Exactly. You want to make your client happy. Yes. So you make a report that says you're great, <laughs> you're doing really good, yeah. and whatever you want to do is very good. Here's our wonderful modelling. Yeah. I believe PwC was behind the Green Wall Street 
bullshit that that oh, was relying on was also okay. modeling on the stuff that we talked about the nature yeah. nature credits market stuff i believe that was a wonderful idea from from pwc and again mm. if you're a private company geared entirely around making profits you'll think the idea of commodifying nature and uh, selling uh, credits for that and turning Australia into a green Wall Street is a fantastic idea. More markets. I have to say there's something as well about like that it's it's something that I can't quite put my finger on but that is just so icky and like uh, these these consulting firms are just like the epitome of evil fucking, I don't know, of the corporate world. You see their stuff and you're just like, oh, my God, what are you why you like this? It's it's all it's very like synergy vibes. It's like you know, I don't know. It's very individual action. Market is going to save the world. Things we care about climate change, and that's why we've done another report. And they're all so fucking close to government. Like you know, Deloitte does so much fucking work for the Queensland Labor government. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the big four: KPMG, PwC, Ernst and Young, and Deloitte. And they all have a fucking revolving door with politicians. All of these massive contracts, um, a very, very close relationship. And there was, the, and they make massive donations to the major parties. There was this no. report that came out a couple of months Surely ago not. from the Center for Public Integrity, um, who found that over, I think, maybe a nine or 10 year period, the big four consulting firms donated $4.3 million to mm-hmm. the major parties, Liberal and Labor. And over that same period, government contracts to those big four consulting firms, like the total volume of contracts um, granted to them, increased by 400%. What? So that's, that's, that's cool. That's a crazy That's a crazy coincidence. And were any donations going to the Greens political party? Well, the thing about the Greens political party, Tom, and this mm. is what's so great, is that we don't take corporate political donations. Oh. So, no. So, and I wonder if it's a coincidence then that, yeah, we are the ones who are saying this is maybe fucked and you shouldn't do this anymore. Mm. And, yes, as part of this push to crack down on the big consulting firms, like I think, yeah, the campaign that it seems like Pocock has been pushing is break the link and to ban donations from consulting firms because it's just, yeah, like it, it's absolutely ridiculous. I And I think as well it's, I mean, it's, when we go back to that that comment from that AFR guy about, oh, this is highly valued work, I do not think that any reasonable person, in apart from the most cooked, like neoliberal brains like that guy, is like, oh, yeah, consulting is real work. Consulting <laughs> is real valuable work. Like, this oh, is thank primo you for your service. email job. <laughs> They circle back, they check in. Uh, mm, so that's, that's, that, that's, right. that's all they do. Just yes, yeah, checking yeah. in and circling back. That's that's all they do. Yeah, yeah. They I think they're a fantastic political enemy. They're a waste of fucking space. Mm. And it's absolutely yes, I, I support the work on this. I but I can't help and I'm and I'm sorry, Barbara Pocock, if you listen to the podcast, I doubt it. Um, but like I can't help but giggle when politicians post things like she tweeted that people are like constantly coming up to her in the grocery store to shake her hand for holding PwC to account. <laughs> I, I, maybe that's true, but there's just something about when people tweet that, I'm like, you didn't have to tweet that. Okay, you think it happened? You think that did actually happen? I Do you mean, think yeah. it happened? I, I mean, I don't think she would make Why it up, Barbara but I think she should have kept it to herself. <laughs> I think. I think it's, yeah, and she even like, I assume she that's said, at a Harris Farms. Yeah, maybe that's, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, she said multiple a, people come up and shake her hands. I'll tell you that much, yeah. She, yeah, and she was like, oh, there are, you know, uh, it's good to be doing like this work 
as well as other um, politicians, uh, there are some perks of being an MP. And I was like, you didn't, yeah, you could have just kept that one for the work slack, I think. That's like we have a little channel in our work slack where we post appreciation like that. I mean, yeah, again, and look, a lot of, yes, populist, left-wing populist anger can be drawn out of this. I mean, people hate massive companies. People know that rich people and massive companies do not pay enough tax and they hate the idea of these fancy business people getting access to information and using it to help multinationals, you know, rip off the taxpayer and not pay enough money to, which, you know, leads to shittier public services. Now also, you know, maybe most people don't have an amazing opinion or investment in the public service. Often people's Mm. interaction with the public service is not very positive. Yeah. Um, And there is a general meme, I don't think this is true, but a general meme that public servants are lazy and overly bureaucratic Mm. and don't do anything, yada, yada, yada. Again, not just, just not true. Um, But at least, yeah, that, that could be a general perception. So, you know, to make the case that fully funding and a properly funded and expansive and active public service is, is a big part of the Greens' mission. Um, and there's plenty of political ground there to be to be made from that, I think. Do you think that we, do you think the NAC will investigate the PwC stuff? Um, it would, well, I see, my only hesitation is that it seems like it has, we've got to send an inquiry that there's been extensive mm-hmm. media coverage I suppose the questions as to who knew what and whether anybody turned a blind eye and whether this wasn't dealt with sooner is probably an open uh, uh, question. I tell you mm. what, they won't investigate is political donations to the major parties because, of course, it's yeah. illegal and isn't considered corruption. Even though, again, that would totally fit my dis- my. Uh, well, I mean, but I, not necessarily like under the definition in the act. It sounds like that would should be something that they would look at. But it's so yeah, it's so like accepted. So normalized, and but you can't as proper. Make, you can't yeah. make. I mean, we just see these facts and make the clear connection because we're not idiots, and, not, and most <laughs> people could also make this connection. But you know, to actually nail someone, you need a tit for tat, right? Like a quid pro quo. You need to draw a line from this political donation led to this outcome, and it'd be like, hey, yes, we give donations, but we're also just a fantastic consultancy firm that gets hired by the government to do the fantastic, <laughs> right. important Completely work. Completely unconnected. Yeah, that's right. Um, I yeah, like I think. I mean, my view is it seems unlikely that the NAC will investigate this just based on what they've said because with all of these referrals already flooding in the first week that they have opened their doors, the commissioner, Paul Burriton, has come out and said things like, you know, that they said that they're more interested in investigating corruption that's happening now effectively than historical stuff, which already strikes off a whole lot of the stuff that, politicians are are calling, including the Greens, are, are calling to, to look at because a lot of it is like scandals that have happened in the past. And the other thing that the commissioner said is that they probably wouldn't look at stuff or one of the things that they would consider is ha- has it already been investigated through another process? So if there's already been a Royal Commission or there's already yeah. been a, um, a Senate inquiry, it seems less likely that it's going to get investigation. And yet these are all the things that like politicians are coming out and everyone has their their knack wish like all the <laughs> despite Barnaby Joyce coming out initially after the Greens released that that top 10 mm. and he's like the Greens are politicizing the knack he said I'm oh, not going to be like the Greens I will let the commission make its own decisions and if it believes it should investigate well and good but then meanwhile his colleagues and you know the coalition are saying but also we are pushing very hard for and I think have even now referred the settlement given to Brittany Higgins. Yes. Wait, we want the NAC to investigate that. So it's like everyone has the little thing that they want. And probably none of it is going to be what the NAC is actually going to look at. 
Yes, God. Another one of my bugbears is people in politics talking about stop politicizing this or making this about oh politics. It's all about politics. You're a politician. You idiots. Yes, you're a politician. <laughs> and this thing is going to investigate political corruption. So politics yeah. is going to come up, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. Like, yes, maybe we'll get some great content out of the NAC. Maybe we'll change the world. Maybe the NAC is going to solve corruption and deliver free universal healthcare, education, and housing for all. Um, remains to be seen. <laughs> Then neck came out. Here comes the money. Oh, did someone oh, say neck? Oh, bam, baby, it's neck, baby, I yeah. Well, let's continue being cynical and talk about the voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Let's give it up. Uh, today's the last day of NADOC week for 2023. Pop quiz, Emerald. Do you know what NADOC stands for? Oh, maybe not. I obviously have heard it before. Is it National Aboriginal and Islander Day of Celebration? Yes, that's pretty close. Let's OC. Pretty close. What is it? Well, it's, yeah, National Aborigines and Islander Day Ob- Organization Committee or Observance Committee, I think. Oh, so it's the committee it's week. So it's the of committee celebration. Yes, no, not of celebration. celebration. And it's never been that. Not of celebration. No, I mean people don't use people don't really think about it as an acronym anymore. But I, I just always think it's odd that like it's such an awkward acronym that sort of lays out this this week but anyway it's a week of celebration for first nations people and this year the theme is for our elders big focus was the upcoming referendum on the first nations voice to parliament it kicked off last sunday with more than 25 events across the country big rallies for yes and during the week the voice debate heated up and turned very weird and ugly and congratulations everyone we have hit the racist cartoon stage of australian political great a milestone (laughs) For all odds poll issues. <laughs> we did it, guys. What would you say is your general impression of where the voice debate is at in the referendum oh, campaigns? Not good. Embattled. Um, <laughs> you never want to be. Embattled voice campaign. Like, I know polls, you can't always trust polls, but, like, polls are not looking good, are they? They're not ideal. So we, we reckon the general wisdom is that the referendum itself is going to happen on a Saturday in October, so still a couple of months away. But the latest news poll was came out on June 26th. 2,203 voters, which is a decent sample size for a news poll. Normally it's about half that. Nationally, the no vote has increased from 43% to 47%. Yes is down 46 to 40, now 43%. Yes vote is only leading in New South Wales and Victoria. Now that, that yeah. means more people but um, because they're mm. bigger states, but still. But it has to be the majority in, in all the states. Still got to be majority in all the states because of our wonderful constitution that makes total <laughs> sense. The strongest opposition comes from Queensland, according to News Bowl, where the no vote is at 54%. There was also an AFR freshwater strategy poll, which was sort of focused on Queensland. It has the yes at 36, no at 50%, and 14% undecided. The no vote is eight points higher in regional Queensland than in the greater Brisbane area. Uh, 75% of LNP voters say no, 55% of Labor voters say yes, so it's a pretty clear partisan split. Yeah. Pretty strong correlation with age, so younger people are yes, and then that yes vote declines as you get mm. older. I didn't know this. 28% of Australia's First Nations population live in Queensland, huge First Nations um, population yeah. there, relative with the rest of the country. You know what I think is interesting about this and, like, particularly looking at the yes campaign, right, and it's like why is Queensland – really struggling on this and I wonder what it's like in in other states but it's just the federal particularly on a federal basis labor is weak 
in Queensland. And the majority of the organising for the Yes campaign is driven by Labor and Labor mm. branches at the moment. And so, like, if there's not a super strong ALP base in that state, it's not surprising that the Yes campaign is floundering. Like, really the only place that I'm seeing people campaigning for Yes, it's from, like, Labor associate from Labor and Labor Associated Unions. So, See, yeah. But then, but obviously, people would say, "Well, there's a Labor government, and there's a, there's a what?" Third yeah, but that's at a state level. That's what I mean. Level. Like, but is because is the, Palaszczuk campaigning much for? Well, no, and actually, there's. I I think that's right. I was explaining this to you that the state, all of the Queensland state MPs, have been explicitly instructed by the clerk that they cannot, like, can't campaign on the referendum in any way, but cannot even use their office resources to distribute any information about the referendum because it's deemed outside of their purview as state MPs because it's a federal referendum. They can't host an event where constituents discuss the ref- They can't distribute any material on the fact that there is a referendum and that people need to vote in it. They can't do any of that. They couldn't pr- print, like, um, you know, community grassroots flyers or or materials about it because that's they've got those oh, instructions. Is, oh, when you were telling me that, I thought that was a Greens Queensland Greens instruction. But you're no. saying that that's across the board for the Queensland Parliament. That's Queensland Parliament instruction. Yeah. That's wild. So, like, I mean, obviously, yeah, Palaszczuk could be doing what she wanted probably in terms of making media appearances, but, but like, I, it, it certainly is, like, it seems like there is a real carve a cup, a whatever, a division between the state parliament, which and the state body in Queensland Labor, which is really quite strong, obviously, mm. and the federal referendum. God, and that must be unique to Queensland because we know lots of other state leaders and politicians across are the they? country are are getting involved. I think yeah. interesting. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about whether something like that had been handed down in other states. Like and the I, LNP and I think, is against, right? Like Chris Chris Ofelli, whatever he's he's saying. Yeah, he's Chris Bl- LNP leader. Yeah. Um finally, yeah, so they were against it. I think mm. like, I mean, Queensland Labor is just really uh risk averse and swayed by the tides of the Courier Mail that the closer and closer that we get to our state election, which is next year. And yeah, arguably even if they could, they would not see this as a vote winner for the state in in twenty twenty four. I think is what they think. I just realised as well. It's probably also because the Brisbane blacks, like specifically in Brisbane in Mangin, the the like the local Aboriginal people are so stridently anti voice, like so stridently no. Mm. So it's like the yeah that that base of of campaigning for for yes in Queensland, which would come from from Brisbane presumably, it would feel very strange and kind of contrary to the way that we would normally approach First Nations justice, like from a Greens perspective as well, to in my own community be contradicting the black leaders. So. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, contradicting. I mean, surely don't we have space for? For people like in this inner campaign that has a binary choice between yes and no, we I mean we have to give space in the same way that Mesa yes voter gives space for for people voting for no and campaigning for no for a variety of different reasons. I mean to respectfully consider all the issues to land at a position, you know, and 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 yeah, to say sure. that you defer to First Nations opinion doesn't doesn't really quite track when when we look at. You know, you can't you obviously can't say you know listen to these black people over these black people in a in any kind of 
legitimate way, right? Like, like that's not that's not well on a local level, like there aren't that's what I mean. Local, local community yeah. who are voting who are campaigning for yes, campaigning for yes. I don't know any Aboriginal people in my local community who are campaigning for yes. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. The other thing I'd say about these polls is that my general impression is that people seem to be invest much more wisdom in polls when they suggest a no vote as opposed to a yes. Now that's that's not you know we're still early days. These vote, these polls could change. Maybe these polls are totally accurate. I don't know. It just seems like when the polls were very strong for yes, mm. people were very much like, oh, well, let's wait and see, and it's not a lock. And now ah. it's showing a no vote. People are like, well, it's pretty much over, everyone. So that's my only little asterisks as, as to my reading of people's re- response and How's, information. Yeah. These polls. How strong were the the like polls for yes for marriage equality? Uh, for marriage equality, mm. well, for years leading up to the actual plebiscite, well, but, yeah. But in and terms of when it came to the plebiscite, when it came to the plebiscite, I think it was always in the lead, and maybe it narrowed slightly towards the actual voting day. Yeah, I believe. But okay. I think it was always. I think it, and was at some point polled. I think the polls predicted something like a sixty percent yes vote. Yeah, which was pretty close. We also got some more detail. On Tuesday, the Minister for Indigenous Australians gave a speech to the National Press Club, this is Linda Burney, outlining her vision for the purpose and agenda of The Voice. She said, from day one, The Voice will have a full in-tray. I will ask The Voice to consider four main priority areas, health, education, jobs and housing. As the Minister, when I meet with The Voice for the first time, I will say, bring me your ideas on how to stop our people from taking their own lives. Bring me your ideas on how to help our kids go to school and thrive. Bring me your ideas on how we can make sure our mob lives strong and healthy lives, how we ensure more people have jobs, how we support families better. So she's sort of like putting guardrails and um, identifying four priority areas that they're going for, yeah. Doesn't this kind of directly contradict what we've talked about before when I thought the government had been like, well, the voice to parliament is going to only specifically look at Indigenous issues. It's not relevant to, you know, issues in other portfolios. And we were like, well, obviously the big like all of these areas of government, like health, education, jobs, and housing, yeah, disproportionately like affect Aboriginal people in different ways. But now, I guess they're acknowledging that. Yes, I guess. Look, there's been a lot of debate and conjecture about what the Voice would look out, look at, um, yeah, what would be in its remit. And certainly, the No campaign and Dutton has been going very hard on this. They asked Linda Burney a bunch of questions in Parliament about would they would they talk about interest rates. I think at one point there was a question about we'll look at parking fines and stuff australia day was sort of flew up as this really big um issue like would the voice be able to make representations in regards to australia day some proponents of the voice said no don't be ridiculous other people were like well probably what? i mean why not why, that, not? why wouldn't yeah. that relate to people but again again and we'll get to this in the context of i'm going to be voting yes i support the, the referendum you still just get locked into this argument in which people say the voice will do this thing and it'll be bad. And then the other person says, no, they won't have enough power. And then the left says, hang on, it's not going to have any power to change anything. Yes. Yeah. That's the problem. It's a it's a pretty brutal, logical uh, vibe yeah. that we get through. But I suppose, you know, again, if if the challenge for the Yes campaign is to convince more people that, there, that this constitutional change will not only have nice symbolic recognition of First Nations people in our constitution, but some pragmatic outcomes to make First Nations people's lives better. And while the No campaign is trying to sow a lot of doubt and confusion about the things that it will and won't talk about, you can understand why Linda Burney would be saying, well, here are four things that are undeniably related to First Nations 
justice and closing the gap. And these are the things that I would be seeking. I would be asking the voice to look at. Now, the voice can also do its own stuff, you know, that at least that that's the general agreement. They don't yeah. need to be asked or approached by the government to look at certain things. But good. <laughs> I suppose you see, which is, which is good news. Yeah. Dutton says in response to Bernie laying out those areas, saying that's not the design of the voice. If the Constitution said it could only look at those four particular topic areas, then fine, but it doesn't. And so it could... It could give advice about anything, which again, it's just like oh, no. well, that advice can, and in lots of instances, will be ignored. Yeah, not giving First Nations people any say. Yeah, okay. Does that make sense? I, I know, like initially when we were talking, maybe at the start of the year about the voice, you you sort of yeah, you had hesitations or you raised this critique about well, how do you define what does and doesn't affect First Nations people specifically? Is that is that any clearer or do you think that's still a big question mark over the list? Oh, I don't know that it's clearer because I think that the government has contradicted itself based on the argument that it's trying to make, as you say, like when it's trying to respond to these conservative or like racist critiques about is giving First Nations people too much power, then it like in, instead of, I guess, yeah, and maybe this has changed now, but initially instead of defending the value of giving First Nations people increased power or voice, they were like, actually, no, we're not going to do that and downplay the, that level of, of power mm. that the voice would um, would give First Nations people. And so that's where it's like, well, that's a little bit unclear. You kind of need to pick. Yeah. Right. Do you think her identifying certain things like those um, housing, health, education uh, and jobs and stuff, do you think her, you know, identifying those four main areas is... Yeah, obviously practical stuff that relate to First Nations people in, in a way, in a First Nations context, particularly in rural, remote Aboriginal communities. Is that is that helpful? Does that make the picture any clearer? Kind of. They're very broad though. I yeah. would have to listen to the, the full speech. I noticed that she hasn't said anything about uh, how to reduce incarceration rates of First Nations people. Yeah, true. Yeah, so geez. interesting. <laughs> Some other points that Linda Burney made in that speech, she indirectly confronted the criticisms of progressive no-vote people like Senator Lydia Thorpe by saying, it's not going to be a passive advisory body. I want it to be active and engaged. An active and engaged advisory body. Advisory body, yes. That only provides advice. Yes. So I don't know if we would say that dealt with. And then she tried this one, and I I think this will make you happy, Emerald. Linda Burney also described voting yes as an act of patriotism, an act of your belief in Australia. We are the greatest country in the world. And we could be even greater if we recognise Indigenous Australians. Wow. So just really, really further alienating that progressive no, like yeah. really further alienating uh, basically any, yeah, the Aboriginal so- sovereignty movement. Waving the flag. Greatest country. Love it whenever it says we're the greatest country in the world. The we are weirdest, the greatest country in say. the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're such a great country that we've got to a point where <laughs> we need to bring in this voice because the life expectancy between our first inhabitants and everybody else is growing wider and wider and we lock mm-hmm. out black people more than almost any other country in the entire world. Mm-hmm. But we are the greatest country in the world. So, Yeah. We- yeah. The cognitive dissonance with this discourse is just, yeah, it is hard to reconcile. Now, you know, putting on your cynical political strategy hat though, Mm. Is there a level, you know, in that if if people want to feel good about voting for the voice, if you wanted to get more people to vote, yes, if you wanted to relate to people who broadly speaking have a positive view about Australia, like Australia, think think that, you know, life in this country has a lot of things mm-hmm. going for it. If you want to bring people into that, speak to that and say the voice is part of that. It's not going to make your life worse. It's going to make this country that you already like already better. Does that make a level of sense? Yeah, maybe. Like uh, maybe if it's like doing that thing of, you know, 
Australia is so great because we have the oldest living culture on earth and, mm. you know, we could we make that all one thing and those things aren't in conflict and sure people think this is a great country. Like I do think, and this is maybe you're going to get into this, but I find it interesting the the argument that you're going to win less votes for yes based on the idea of being part of some big historical change than you would by arguing that it'll make concrete differences to First Nations people's lives because mm. I think the only, like the reason that I will probably vote yes is because I think that it will be like on on a big picture kind of historical basis a very bad thing if we end up with a no vote to this referendum. And like I think people want to be part of something big. So I think that, yeah, appealing to that idea of people wanting to be part of a historic moment, like even I think looking back to like referring to the the marriage equality plebiscite would be a good idea because that was such a jubilant moment that it would have mm. sucked to be on the, the no side, right? Like mm. to remind people of that and be like, don't you want to be part of the party, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Join the party. Join the Greens political party. Where are the Greens on this stuff? Of course, the party supports the uh, referendum, is voting yes, saying yes. I must say I have not seen much front and centre. There are a lot, not a lot of Greens figures involved in sort of particular events. That's just sort of not happening that much. Well, there's one in particular who's very noisy on it. There is someone else, which we'll get to in a sec. I will say last week, Greens Party spokesperson for First Nations Justice, Senator Dorinda Cox, tweeted like, hey, NADOC week, yeah, congratulations to all the deadly winners at the deadlies last night. The theme for our elders is important recognition of generations of tireless advocacy and activism that got us here on our path to truth, treaty and voice. So she's going, she's going back to the reordering of the Truth, Treaty and Voice stuff, which I guess is still green. That's still policy. our policy. That's I think still that policy. we were very clear when, like, all of that shit happened that we were clear the whole way and it never changed that we were like, that's our position as determined by the First Nations Network is Truth, Treaty, Voice. But obviously we that means we support voice. Okay. Yeah. All right. But that So the ordering stuff, does that still matter? To us, or that's still important? I think that's a preference. That's the way that we think it should be, but yeah. Okay. Well, Green Senator Sarah Hansen-Young went on Sky News and she had some strong words about the upcoming referendum. Well, this is the really crucial few months now to make sure we do get uh, support for The Voice uh, over the line, that this referendum is successful. I just want to say, um, you know, there can be no fence-sitters in this debate going forward. You're either a yes or you're a no. Uh, and if you're, if you believe in fairness, if you believe in reconciliation, if you believe that Indigenous Australians deserve better, and to be on the right side of history, then you've got to put your hand up, campaign for yes, uh, vote yes, because if you don't, you're on the side of the nasties. That's Peter Dutton and Pauline Hanson who say the status quo is a okay, and it's clearly, clearly not. Well, you can. She also said it'd be a disgrace if the referendum failed. Australia would be an international pariah if it didn't get up. She says Australians wanted to have a nation and a country that we are proud of and that if the voice doesn't pass, it would be the fault of all Australians for not trying hard enough. Is that a bit much? Uh, <laughs> I think it's a bit much coming from a white, non-Indigenous senator. Right. Like, I obviously, you know, in fairness, she would say that she's not saying everyone who is on the no side is a nasty. She'd be like, well, I'm saying but... Included in that side are these nasties and you don't want to be with them, do you? But I think it's so easy to take what she's just said as, yeah, this like basket of 
you know, deplorables, this basket of, of, of nasties yep. that includes some of the like fiercest, staunchest, most progressive First Nations activists, campaigners, people. And she as like a white woman is being like, that's the nasties. Like yep. that's the real risk of this. Okay. So this, this painting of everyone on the no side, including the progressive no, which includes, um, you know, people like Lydia Thorpe and others mm. from the First Nations sovereignty movement. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a mistake, right? That alienates folks on our left, and yeah, it's it's also just yeah, it's just not not necessary, really. I yeah. mean, you can you can advocate for yes, you can make the case for yes without demeaning or talking down to people that should be your political allies. Broadly, yeah. on a bunch of other subjects, right? I don't think that this. I I don't think that you are winning anyone like any of the progressive undecided. I guess. Yeah. Um, by doing this thing where you're like, oh, well, you're with Peter Dutton, you're with Pauline Hanson. Right. I, because anyone who's in that basket knows that that's not who they're, whose concerns they're listening to. Right. They want an answer to the concerns that are being raised by First Nations people and by the First Nations sovereignty movement. And yeah. this does nothing for that. Ironically, it's exactly the same tactic we get from Labor whenever the exactly. the Greens team up with the coalition to vote against yes. things for very different reasons. Um, yeah, and, and it's and, like no one's fucking buying that. And there was this Kathy Wilcox cartoon which involved Lydia Thorpe walking into the no camp and hanging out with Pauline Hanson and Peter Dutton and just sort of saying, you know, all no's are no's and uh, they are the same kind of no's and they've ended up there, I suppose. Yeah. And But look, and I did this sort of workshop, this online workshop, lately from, from Yes campaigners that were just sort of laying out. They say, look, so some people walked out of the Uluru Statement. There are some First Nations people who disagree with this. We respect their right to disagree. This is why we for it. And overwhelmingly the support we find with, amongst First Nations people is in favour of the voice. And it was just mm-hmm. a very kind of completely reasonable, understandable yeah. position to, yeah. to arrive at. Right? Yeah. yeah. On the No campaign, there's some spicy stuff going down. The role of corporates involved in the Yes campaign has come up. More than 70 organisations have joined the Yes campaign including banks, sporting codes, and major corporations such as Rio Tinto and BHP, our comrades. <laughs> now, Peter Dutton has accused corporate CEOs of lacking backbone for, <clears throat> for you know, getting involved with this and CEOs who listen to Twitter and just want approval. That's why they're getting involved and that they should stay out of politics. West Farmers, who have been a big uh, donor to the S campaign, he said this, look at West Farmers. I think they're $2 million would be better off reducing prices in the supermarkets or reducing prices at Bunnings. When I go to Bunnings, I would like to pay less for my goods, not more. And I don't want, I don't want to every time I hand over my credit card or cash at Bunnings or Coles. I don't want a part of that money going to an activist CEO. An activist CEO. <laughs> in this, oh, so much. Peter First of all, wishes so badly that he was in the states so that he could go and like film protests at Target where they had their like pride. He would be that guy. Totally. Oh, we'd love that stuff. I mean, just yeah. You know how um, obviously, if if these corporations hadn't been giving. Uh, donating this money to the S campaign, they'd totally be reducing prices for you and me. That's what yeah, that would be their first priority. That would be their first priority. Uh, Linda Burney said, I don't think the business community would be very impressed with the bully boy tactics of Peter Dutton. Peter Dutton said, oh, you're just yelling at people and all these CEOs, they're teaming up. It's an anti-elitist message basically around the S campaign. I mean, okay. A, what do you think about corporations getting involved in the S campaign? And B, what is this? Is this Because there, there does seem That's to be, we've talked do. about the woke capitalism thing before, right? But there does seem yeah. to be this element of the right at the moment that are prepared to 
prioritize their anti-wokeness over their relationship <laughs> with the forces of big capital, at least rhetorically, and and mm. trying to get some political capital out of campaigning against that. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's completely inconsistent. But that's right. This is just like what, yeah, the woke capital thing. Like this is just what those big corporations are gonna do. I do think that um, it's interesting. I was, you know, saw a little bit of coverage this week of the Yes campaign kind of identifying this as an as an issue and trying to pivot towards a more grassroots image for the yes campaign so that it's mm-hmm. not led by celebrities and and big corporations and yeah elites as you say yeah well part of this this thing that i was involved with was they say hey post these voice memos from first nations people so you use your platform it's not like hey guys i'm tom ballard i'm voting mm. yes but you say on my platform which has some level of reach, oh, yeah, so here's a this. voice memo from First Nations people and them talking about what it means to them. That's a nice, cute yeah. little voice memo kind of vibe too. Would you like a, a gold star, Tom? Well, it? I'm just saying Love that it. I'm a pretty awesome person for doing that and <laughs> I did get enough credit for that, which is actually pretty yeah, annoying. Yeah, sorry. I, 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 I may vote no just, to, just because <laughs> just- of that. <laughs> Um, there's all this misinformation stuff going on, and some of this is insanely cooked. There's lots of fact-checking left, right, and centre, lots of political contestation about what constitutes truth and what constitutes misinformation. I did not know this. Advance Australia set up a Voice Is Not Enough campaign. So Advance Australia, crazy right-wing lobby group. Mm. They've set up a Not Enough campaign, like a Facebook page, where they used mm. a quote from Celeste Little okay, former Greens candidate yeah. and someone who wrote opinion piece sort of saying, I'm not convinced, I'm not yes or no. So basically they're, they're trying to capitalise on the progressive no arguments by saying that the voice doesn't do enough, it won't get us treaty or reparations, and just use Celeste Little's quote without her permission, completely misrepresenting where she was coming from. I thought that was yeah. low it's even fucked. for these cunts. Yeah. So low. And I think but that's the thing I guess people would then – argue oh well people like celeste or you shouldn't you know voice those legitimate concerns from a progressive standpoint knowing that they may be used by this conservative racist no campaign and you know so you're tacitly supporting that by voicing concerns and i I think it's important to be like well no it's the fault of fucking advance australia for using those like taking those words out of context and using them without permission yeah yeah right there is this referendum pamphlet that's distributed to every house and the, the people in the no vote have a chance to write these 2,000 words to express to people why mm. they think they should vote no. There is no legal requirement on that pamphlet to be fact-checked, to be accurate, to have any kind of truth mm. associated with it. And there is this debate, like obviously Pauline Hanson and the Liberals who are against, the um, the Coalition members who are against uh, will play a role in voting no, writing that no essay. Uh, you know, and whether or not Lydia will be part of that is still an open question too, which I do think is. Oh, is it? Because I thought she, I thought that was the whole point is that she had formally like put her hand up to do that. She said that, yes, I would like to, but I think the, because the Liberals have the numbers, they can kind of basically Uh, dictate who does and doesn't. Even if she does submit something, whether or not that would be included. I, I mean, it's hard for me to imagine a no section of the pamphlet that is trying to encapsulate both of those messages. It would be interesting to see. <laughs> this mm. is terrible. It divides us by race. But also it does not dismantle yeah. the settler colonial state. Yes, sovereignty was never ceded. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. There was this insane racist cartoon from Advanced Australia in the AFR. Have you seen, did you see this thing? Is, see this cartoon? No, I haven't seen this. So this is Michael Cheney, who's the head of West Farmers. That's Kate Cheney, the Teal Independence uh, father. 
She's sitting oh. on his lap with little okay. pigtails. He's handing over $2 million to Thomas Mayo. That's a Torres Strait Islander man, a signature to the Uluru Statement and a big campaigner for, yes, he is dancing Whoa. and is receiving $2 million in funding. And the caption says, don't worry, sweetheart, it's just shareholders' money. So where do you start? <laughs> where, where do you start with that? The nine has apologized, said it should never have been run, and we apologize for that, which is just like, okay, I don't know how this one slipped through the net. This is a paid advertisement from um, Advance Australia. Jesus. You'll also notice Thomas Mayo has a hammer and sickle on his T-shirt, and he's a unionist. He's been, I think he might have been involved ah. in the Communist Party before. And the Daily Mail have lost their fucking mind over this guy and have con- the classic red baiting, just like communism. They're trying to sneak in communism via the voice referendum. Wow. It's really wild. Good old-fashioned reds under the bed, hey? Nungai Warren Mundine, big voice in the No campaign, he said, that's not racist or sexist at all. It's a straightforward cartoon that is spelling out exactly what it is, which is about corporate Australia spending shareholders' money on this campaign. She, Miss Cheney, <laughs> is his daughter. There is nothing that ca- in that cartoon that is sexist, that is racist. This is a complete joke. I... Okay. Okay. It sucks. It's awful. I mean, I'm, I will say that shit like that probably, you know, I mean, there's been widespread bipartisan um, um, condemnation. Uh, condemnation of it, which is good to see, I suppose. And I suppose the craziness of those associated with a no campaign, I think, will occasionally count against them and will, yeah. will represent themselves as being extremely not normal weirdos who will alienate yes. themselves from the rest of the public. Yeah. Hopefully just let them get more unhinged. <laughs> Although, no, I shouldn't say that actually because that can be deeply damaging. Well, the race, anyway. I mean, look, yeah, Thomas Mayo is a pretty fierce, staunch dude. He, uh, he It's not he, yeah, it's completely unacceptable to have this appear. But, like, but uh, you know, that's he, the thing. It's not about him, right? It's about yeah. other like Aboriginal people who would look at that and be like, oh, is this how yeah. my neighbours see me? Right. Like, yeah. I guess finally we're running out of time and obviously there'll be more to say about the yes campaign and the no campaign and everything as it mm-hmm. rolls out. But I suppose, yeah, I'm just interested in how you're, you're feeling, whether you have hesitations about it supporting or campaigning for yes. And I was having a conversation this week with my good friend who's an Aboriginal communist, very cool, very smart guy, involved in radical politics, obviously, you know, has connections to people who are mounting a progressive no campaign, has, is sympathetic to the arguments that they're making. But basically landed on this this term that I thought was helpful, which is a critical yes vote. Okay, so you know, progressive mm-hmm. no, but also critical yes. Okay, yeah. voting yes with your eyes wide open, aware of the limitations of what's going to happen. But given the binary choice that we are given by sake of the referendum, you know there is no there is no third option, um, yeah. and a a yes vote is still valuable and worth worth pushing for. Um, and if you if you do believe that, you know putting putting your uh, your hat into the ring or doing what you can to help out with that campaign is is probably a worthwhile political activity. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, like I just think that I still wouldn't feel comfortable campaigning for yes, especially seeing the way that, you know, a lot of First Nations people and, and campaigners that I really respect, um, how they perceive those, like that, that campaigning because a lot of the time, yeah, and the way that like especially just, I don't know, for me to come out and and do that, I just don't think I would feel comfortable with it, but I still plan to vote yes as myself because I'm not convinced by the arguments that the voice will take us backwards or mm. that it will have negative impacts for the country or for First Nations people. At the same time, yep, yeah, like I'm certainly 
you no, know, I, I think it will have zero net impact effectively. Um, right. And I do think that a no vote will have a negative impact. So like I weigh all of that up with my, my own view, but then, yeah, like as, as a campaigner, I don't think it makes sense for me to campaign for yes. Mm, interesting. I mean, yeah. devil's advocate vibe, but like, <laughs> uh, what about like the idea of politicizing, you know, people getting out there talking about politics, talking about First Nations justice, using this campaign as an opportunity to talk about things like treaty. I mean, I think it has been lost a little bit that mm-hmm. if if we take Labor at our word, which at their word, which which we should never do, but the official Labor position is to support the Uluru Statement in full, which includes treaty. Okay, so. And, and they are certainly presenting that the voice is a step towards towards treaty. I mean, isn't that an opportunity to yeah, talk to, to our fellow this, citizens in the same way about that we're First using justice? Yeah, like we're using the housing bill to talk about renters, for example. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but but again, like I, that's where I'm like, I just don't think that I would have any. I, I'd be able to make a difference in in that regard. Like maybe I could join some sort of like join the yes campaign, but what would that involve like I'd then have to reach out and find some sort of labor led group which is what it would be in my local area <laughs> they're not going to want to talk to me I'm not going to want to talk to them what am I going to go out and door knock with these like I don't know yet where I would start honestly like and it just doesn't seem like something that makes sense for me mm. that's that's not to say that I don't think other people like I wouldn't look down on Tom don't worry I wouldn't look down <laughs> on any of my comrades who might choose to do that but you ever looked yeah, out of the emerald? I, I couldn't live with myself. That'd be, that'd yeah. Be and I think, and even just like, you know, maybe this is always just, there's always more that I could be doing, I'm sure. And mm. I constantly feel guilty that I'm not out there door knocking more already. But it's like, yeah, if I was going to add something to my roster right now, it would be door knocking on housing. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, if you want to help Campaign VS, if you want to add that to your roster, you can go to yes23.com.au. That has got a whole bunch of events. Yes, a bunch of them are labor aligned. There's a big union movement push for yes as well. Um, but yes, there is also some other opportunities for people if they want to check it out. But yes23.com.au has a bunch of info if you're interested. Catherine Campbell, AO, CSC, and Bar. I think what you mean by robo debt is compliance per se is that what you mean no i think everybody pretty well understands what robo debt is i'm chair i don't know what robo debt means um oh that is an extraordinary admission at this point people have died over robo debt and you don't even acknowledge the word i do not accept those assertions that are being made they are not correct this is this is difficult it's alleged that, no, I do not accept people have died over robo-debt. You do not? I do not accept Well, I'm that. sure the families of those who died and committed suicide will be very, very unhappy Set with your answer to Cole, don't dig it. Leave it in the ground. It's time to get with it. Cole, don't dig it. Oh, is that one of the chants that you do? You haven't heard that? I don't think so. Wow, That's Tom's good. never been to a climate rally, everyone. <laughs> Maybe just not one with that lame chant. <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's one of the worst. <laughs> Well, this one is obviously uh, Yes Campaigning is uh, for anybody across the country if you're interested. But if you're in Victoria, there's a specific petition set up by the Victorian Greens to try and stop the hydrogen energy supply chain project in Victoria's Latrobe Valley. A bunch of businesses getting together. They want to set up a highly polluting brown coal to hydrogen project in the Latrobe Valley. Mm. And the Victorian Labor government has been like, oh, yeah, we'll look into that. that. That'd be good. Sounds good. 
It'll turn brown coal into hydrogen for export to Japan. Uh, it'll propose to use carbon capture and storage technology to store carbon dioxide, which we all know Proven is Proven technology, yeah. Do you see we're also importing emissions from Japan and Korea and storing it under the sea? Like we're going to do that now? I did not see that. <laughs> really good story. This country is the greatest country on earth. The best one. <laughs> the Australian Institute has estimated that the project could create between 2.9 to 3.8 million tonnes of CO2 per year. It's ridiculous. We're saying, hey, stop this project, stop the hydrogen energy supply chain project in the Vitro Valley and begin the urgent phase out of all existing coal projects with appropriate support for workers and communities. You need to be a Victorian resident to sign this petition. If we get enough petitions, then the parliament has to debate it. So Ellen Sandell from the mm. Victorian Greens is spearheading this. The link for that petition is in the show notes. I've signed it. As a Victorian resident, I encourage you to do so well, as well. There's also, though, the the link that, that we can include to, I think, like the Greens campaign. So you can sign up for the Greens campaign in case there are other actions, like emailing or calling actions that come up on this later, mm-hmm. and then it'll take you to the Victorian Parliament petition, which you can only sign if you're a Victorian resident. Sick. Hey, rate and review our show, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. Remember to email your questions via voice memo, hello at seriousdangerpod.com. Mm. We want to hear from you. And, and your best voice. Tom impression. Oh, God. <laughs> Follow us on social media at Serious Danger AU, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. SeriousDangerPod.com for all your Serious Danger needs. Should we get threads? Tell us oh, if we should get threads. Yeah, God, is that I don't good? really want to, but yeah, let us know. By voice memo, in a Tom voice. <laughs> oh, get threads. <laughs> yeah. Serious Danger.